Amanda Fisher is the cash flow queen. She's a CFO, chartered accountant, and the author of Unscramble Your Numbers. She specializes in helping business owners to understand their numbers to make better business decisions to build their dream businesses. Having worked with thousands of business owners, she's realized that 95% have no education in financial literacy. I know Amanda's on a mission to fill this void using her easy-to-understand style through programs and one-on-one services. Amanda loves helping people and unscrambling the numbers. She fuses these together with a love of technology to create a unique CFO service where she demystifies the numbers and makes the complex simple. I'm sure you'll find Amanda's chapter, It's Not About the Numbers, It's About the Stories They Tell, as interesting as the lady herself. So the first question I have for you is a general one. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Amanda Fisher from Amanda Fisher, The Numbers Matter. So I'm, I'm a chartered accountant by training and I've spent many years working in the tax and business services side of being a chartered accountant. But I've also worked as the financial controller or, or the chief financial officer for a number of groups of private companies, both full-time and part-time within my role in accounting firms. And one of the things that I have developed over a period of time is is an absolute understanding of the lack of education for business owners around their numbers. People go into business because they love what they what they do or they've got this brilliant idea of doing something new and exciting and it's fantastic. And what tends to happen is they hustle hard to get things started, get it off the ground, and then they get to a point where the cash flow isn't working. They've got problems, can't pay the bills, the tax bills are mounting and they've got no idea where to start and where to look. And it's not their fault, it's just that they've never had any education around it. So I sold my accounting practice to focus specifically on that piece, the kind of the education space, helping people to understand their cash flow and the numbers and using them to make better decisions. Perfect. And why did you get involved with the Better Business book? What was it about the process that interested you? I got involved in the Better Business book because of the opportunity to collaborate with other writers talking about business. I've written three books myself already and I know the power of having a book for leverage in itself. But the Better Business book was different in that it has a hundred authors that are writing on their own best tip for business owners. And I wanted to be part of that collaboration. It's also American based in the publisher is in America. And I was interested to see how he approached that process compared to how the Australian publishers do it. And, and be part of an international book with authors from around the world. So, yeah, it's about sharing a message to a wider audience but also collaborating with different people from around the world to help business owners. Fantastic. Now, this is volume three that has just been or is just about to be released. How many authors from Australia did they manage to get on board this time? 
So in volume three, this one, we have 13 Australian authors in this volume. There were two Australian authors in volume two. So having seen how the process was by one of my colleagues who was in volume two, she raved about how well it worked and how easy it was to to do what needed to be done to put your chapter into the book. When she told me about that, I just wanted to be a part of it. And then I then started talking loud and wide to my friends to get as many Australians in the group as we possibly could. And we ended up with uh, with a magic 13. So tell me, what is your chapter in the book about, Amanda? I'm all about numbers. But at the same token, as I've mentioned, I've written three books. I write in lots of places. And for me, the interesting part now is it's not, a, which is my chapter title, it's not about the numbers, it's about the stories they tell. I can look at a, a sheet of numbers on a piece of paper and I can see what's going on in the business. And, and to me, it's, it's helping people to understand that you don't need to be afraid of the numbers, that it's not scary, it's not like you know, calculus or some fancy maths we supposedly learnt at school. It's really simple, but it isn't even about the mathematics side of it. It's about looking at them as an overview from an owner's perspective to see the trends, to see, you know, the stories they tell. And for me, it's quite fascinating what the numbers can say. I liked in your chapter that you refer to a couple of different stories. Can you tell us the first one you mentioned was the cash flow story. What is the cash flow story? I think everybody knows that that saying cash is king and in every business the cash flow is vital. You have to have more money coming in than money going out to have a successful business. And I'm not talking about money coming in from savings talking about real money coming in from sales, from income, and enough and more than enough to pay the bills. So the cash flow story is talking about how the cash does flow the biz through the business. And I use the, the story of a tree. So looking at a tree that's being well watered, well nourished, it's in a good place, it's getting just a matter of sunshine, so it's got lovely leaves and flowers, it's a beautiful, healthy tree. So it's kind of like the water and the nutrients in the soil that is the cash flow that's feeding this tree to make it into a beautiful tree. But if you don't have the nutrients in the soil or the water, you'll end up with a tree that's brittle, there are not many leaves or will eventually wither and die, but it's it's not a happy, healthy tree. And so it's about kind of using that analogy of, of the water and the nutrients in the soil to feed the tree to understand how that cash flow can create a, a happy, good, successful business versus a business that is actually slowly dying because there isn't enough cash flow flowing through it. The second story you referred to is the story of the prophet, and I don't think you meant Moses. So tell us about the prophet story that you relay in the chapter. No, not Moses, no, but the prophet story. So one of the big challenges that most owners have is understanding the difference between cash flow and profit. 
And it's all too simple and easy to look at how much money you've got in the bank and say, that's good, I'm fine, I've got money in the bank and I'm doing fine. But it's not just about the money in the bank. It's about whether you're actually making a profit. And the profit is all to do with with how much money is your income and what are your expenses. And the story I talk about here is it's about delving more into the profit it's not, again, it's not just about the numbers, but in this case, it's not just about revenue as a lump sum and expenses as an alphabetical listing. It's about finding the different elements in the business. So it might be different divisions, it might be different service lines, it might be different products, but identifying what the different, different ones are and then looking at how much they feed in income into the business, how much the costs to provide the service or to sell the product, how much those costs are so that you can identify whether or not any particular product or service lines or divisions are making a lot of money or not so much money or okay. When you have them all together in one large lump sum of numbers, it, 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 it doesn't tell you anything. So to me, it's a bit of the devil is in the detail. It's, it's, it's going, it's peeling back the layers to look at the different parts of the business to make sure that the profit that is being made in the business is being maximized because you, you understand if you've got some, a service offering perhaps that it may be a lead generation service offering that is a loss leader. And you know that you're losing money on that, but, but equally, if you then convert enough of those people that are go through that process into another offering that is very lucrative, then you know you don't mind having that lost leader because you've got these higher ticket, higher profit margin items that balances it it out. So it's about finding more of the detail to identify whether or not you're actually making profit in the different areas of the business. Because if you've got one area that's really not making a lot of profit, it's going to significantly impact that cash flow story in terms of keeping your tree well, well, well watered and nourished. So let's talk about, you mentioned the devil is in the detail and, and you talked about peeling back the layers to get a, a proper understanding of what's going on in any business. For anybody listening that the concept of this may still be foreign to them. And then you, as you've said, a lot of people start out in business because they're really good at what they do. They might be a great plumber, a great sparky, a great uh, marketer, but numbers aren't necessarily something that they're that familiar or comfortable with. Where do you start? What are the numbers that people really need to know if they're going to to lift the hood and have a look at their business? Where do they start? What are the what are the big ticket items that they should be paying attention to? I think the first there's a, there's two or three. So the first place I start is what are, what are the types of revenue in the business? So if you're if you've got a service business, what are the different services that you offer? And identifying the major ones. And it might be three or four. It doesn't necessarily need to be going into, you know, 20. But the major two or three or four items where you've got money coming in, identifying those and putting in place within your accounting system a way of keeping track of that 
those the different revenue lines. And depending upon what system you use, there may be something that you can track it through a tracking category or a job code in this accounting system, or you may need to create extra line items. So you've got sales, you know, service offering number one, sales service offering number two, offering three, and have them separated. Whatever you need to do depending on the system, that's the starting point. From there, it's looking at what are the costs of delivery. And one of the big mistakes that I've seen over the years is particularly with service-based businesses that the costs of delivering the service are sitting in general expenses or overhead expenses. And I look at it a bit differently and, and take the cost of delivery, so that might be salaries and and staff costs, it might be consultants or contractors, but what are their costs to deliver that service and put that in the cost of sales. So a bit like when you're selling a product, when you're selling a product, you've got to buy from your supplier, that's your cost of sale, and then you've got the revenue, which is the income, and you've got the revenue, the cost of the product, and then you've got your gross profit. With a service business, it's in my mind, it's similar. You've got the revenue. Your cost of sales is the cost of delivery, so those salaries, consultants, contractor costs to get the gross profit. And if you can split the costs of delivery across the different income categories, the different service offerings, you now have a much clearer picture of where the money is coming from, how much margin you're making on each of those offerings. So that's the first two things I would do. The third thing is to really delve into the detail in the expenses. And there's a couple of ways of doing that. One is by categorising together different types of expenses. So putting together sales and marketing costs, rental occupancy costs if you've got an office or a business premise, telephone and um, stationery and other general office costs together, maybe legal and consulting fees together, bank charges and interest charges together, so finance costs together. So looking at the different types of bigger kind of categories of expenses and putting those expenses together rather than having them in an alphabetical list from A to Z. And then within each of those, getting detailed so, for example, if you're sales and advertising and, and you're paying for, let's say, Facebook ads, uh, Google AdWords, you're paying for uh, someone, a consultant to, to do the ads for you, you might be uh, paying maybe for an ad in some local newspaper or radio, rather than putting them all in one number called, you know, sales or advertising, marketing, Separate them out so you can see exactly how much you're spending on each one. And the other area that that is really key on, I find, particularly in today's world, is the subscriptions. You know those subscriptions, we all sign up to various things. They come through the credit card every month without fail, and they're usually just lumped into one number. And what that means is people don't really look at them very often. But if you separate them out so that you've got – you know, your accounting system, you might have 
Audible, you might be paying for Zapier, you might be paying for a Skype or a Zoom or a GoToWebinar or you know, Unbounce or Lead Pages or CRM or all these different subscriptions. And a lot of people forget just how much they're paying because they go automatically out on a credit card, don't really look that hard at it, and you'll find when you get into the detail of it that you'll look at it and realise that you are paying for things you're not using anymore. And so what I find when we go into the detail of that is we often can save two to $300 a month on some of these costs that you don't need. You're paying for, for two of the same style of you know, service and you're using one but not the other. Or, you know, I, I for example, signed up for Audible and, and found I just didn't use it. Uh, kept thinking, I will, I will, but after a few months realised I was, I just, it, I don't have time. So, you know, cancel that Audible subscription and that's just an example of one that I had. But I have lots of others. You know, I went converted from lead pages to unbounce and I was paying both for a couple of months. Like, no, I need to stop the one that I'm not using anymore. So it's getting that level of detail because if you start looking at that, you can save money on your expenses and you can just keep an eye on whether or not there's something you can save money on as well. Are there numbers when you're getting to that level of detail that, that once you have that understanding of the layers within the business, are there certain numbers that you begin to play with? And I say that in inverted commas, that you can begin to manipulate and, and look at what would this look like if I added an extra two clients in each month or where are there those kinds of numbers that you can begin to manipulate with and, and figure out how what kind of an impact that that would have on the business once you've got what I've just talked about a minute ago as your base from there you've got the ability then to start projecting into the future and that's where all the real fun stuff comes and and part of that can be I had one client who was spending six thousand a month on advertising. I'll put that in total. I'll just be a bit generic in how I'm saying this. Was paying six thousand a month for advertising. Decided that they wanted to see what would happen if they stopped because they actually felt that it wasn't giving them the results that they were got initially. They stopped spending the money completely. There was no change to the revenue. It's fascinating. Um, so now instead of reinstating that advertising that they had been doing, they're down doing something a little bit different. I think they're spending maybe up to $1,000 a month and they're seeing an increase in revenue. So it is about tweaking and changing and looking at, well, what would happen if I didn't spend that money? What would happen if I put more money out? And, you know, I mean, the corollary could have been, you know, potentially if they put 10000 into the advertising, would that increase it? Um so it is about looking at how much you're spending, uh, looking at whether or not if you're increasing, your, if, whether you've got capacity, that's the other side of it, what's the capacity to take on more clients or, or to provide more services? And if that is the case, you know, do you need some extra manpower to do that? And what would that look like if you picked up those extra couple of clients perhaps to then put another contractor on or increase the hours of a of a part-timer or a contractor uh, to make sure. So it gives the ability then to look at those what-if scenarios into the future 
to to get a better result ultimately for your profit and for the cash flow. So while we're playing in the what if column, and I know you love to play in the what if, you just said that that's where the fun comes in. What numbers are the easiest to manipulate to improve the overall story? Is there a couple of columns that traditionally you can kind of go, look, if we tweak this, add something here or take something away here, you're pretty safe in seeing a benefit to the business? Yeah, I think I think the first thing is is once you've got that visibility over the detail of the numbers, there will be a number of things that will immediately and very easily be able to be, you know, changed in the sense of cancelling some subscriptions. Uh, I think one of the other things that often flicks out of that too is, is is that there will be costs that you the person the owner suddenly realizes I didn't realize I was paying as much as that for something um, and I think of telephone bills as a as a classic example there where you know there are such the, the new the new plans that come out all the time are better and better or the internet service you know, can you get a better result for a lesser price uh, so there's some things there but the bigger side of it is to me is is more around having detail over how much your gross profit is on each of your different income streams. So your gross profit is the the net of the income less the costs of, of, of sale or delivery. And when you can identify how much gross profit you're making, particularly as a percentage, which is the gross margin, on each of those service offerings, then it becomes easier to say, okay, well, we're not doing so well on this particular service offering. What if we increase the price by 5%? What if we increase the price by 10%? Um, I had one client who for a long time resisted increasing prices and eventually bit the bullet, put a price increase through, was really worried about how many sales they'd lose as a result of increasing the price but they didn't lose anywhere near the number they thought. And what it did was more revenue, the costs were still the same, so more gross profit, more profit, and better cash flow, better profit. So part of it is looking at can you increase the price? And if you do increase the price, how many sales can you lose to still end up at the same position? The other side, particularly when you're talking about service delivery, is looking at the efficiencies in which the delivery is made. And I was working with another client who has, just for example, a particular service offering is budgeted at five hours a a month. And that's fine, but in tracking how many hours are being done by the staff is discovering the staff are spending, yeah, probably about eight a month on that kind of delivery. So now it's a case of, well, we thought it could be delivered in five. It's taking eight. What do we need to do to make it efficient so that we get it back down to the five? Because at five, we make a profit. At eight, we're losing money. Those types of, of, of delving in and looking at what's being done. And that may just be a process, uh, maybe a training exercise. It might be a system you know, upgrade or efficiencies that need to be put into it. 
It might be that you've got someone not as experienced doing it who needs to be trained up and, and sped up <laughs> to do things in a, in a faster time frame. And that's, yeah, as I say, that's where the fun is. That's where you can start to really make the difference, but you've got to have the detail first in order to be able to delve in and start looking at what would happen if we could, you know, get that time frame down or increase the price a little bit. Just tweaking a little bit can make a big difference. You mentioned the discussion around increasing prices. It's a bit of a hot topic discussion for most small business owners. There is that real fear of, oh, if I put my prices up, I'm going to lose people. There once was a time where there was just an annual price increase. There was never any discussion. It was just accepted that 1st of July or 1st of January prices would increase by X amount. We don't see that so much these days. Is there an opinion that you hold around, especially around service delivery businesses, of a need to increase pricing on a more regular basis? Or how does one come to that conclusion? I think that it's a bit of a shame that the regular 1st of July, 1st of January price increases are not as prevalent. I think that what's happening is business owners aren't just getting too scared of losing business from a price increase. And part of it is in how you explain why there's a price increase to your clients or customers. It's also around how you value what you do. Because by the reality is if you don't increase your prices for some period of time, and I'm talking like if you don't increase it for years, let's say, then you've just you're devaluing your your what your get your service every year because you're actually making less money. But from an overall perspective, you know, hundred dollars in, in three years' time is worth less than what a hundred dollars is today. So if you're still charging the hundred dollars, you're getting less value for what you're selling. And I think that we all do understand that prices are going up, you know, wages, costs are going up all the time. If you've got business premises, the rent, the electricity is going up. Customers and clients, we do understand that costs are going up. And unless you're really silly about how much you put your price up, I think that most people don't mind that small increase. I think what happens though is if you go for a few years without putting a price increase up and then you need to do a 20 or 25% price increase, yes, you will suffer and you will lose clients unless you are absolutely providing value and they love you to pieces and they know that they've kind of been, you know, kind of underpaying you for a period of time. But for most people, it's easier to put through a small increase every year uh, and just sneak it up quietly then have to be putting up a serious increase at a point in time when because you haven't done it for some years. Now, the corollary on that, I guess, is for some people, if you don't put the price up for a few years, then you know, there is a very good reason why you're putting up the price now and you've got that great story of being you know, really good to you. We haven't put up our prices for three years, you know, but you know, our rent's gone up, our electricity's gone up, our wages have gone up, you know, all of our costs have gone up and we are now going to have to pass that on to you and you know, we appreciate your business and you know, all those nice things one needs to say, which is fine. So I think for me it's better to 
to put through those smaller increases, people are less likely to leave on a small increase. You give it a big increase and that's where it is harder for people to swallow it and they may then start looking further afield for an alternative rather than staying with you where there's just a little increase. It's like it's not worth the aggravation of finding a new supplier. As our time draws to a close, I have two last questions for you. The first of all is is one that's often intrigued me, and that's how often should businesses be reviewing their numbers? So there are different numbers to review. So from an accounts receivable, so chasing money in the door, that should be done daily if not weekly. But overall looking at the numbers in terms of profit and cash flow, monthly, because If you look at it monthly, it's enough data to give you a good picture and particularly for some bills that are only paid once a month. So if you look at it partway through the month, it will skew the numbers. So a monthly look is good. If you delay it quarterly, it's too far gone. By the time you're looking at it, too much history has happened and if you've got an issue that needs solving, you're already three or four months down the track after the problem started. So you've just exacerbated the problem for a few months. So looking at the numbers on a monthly basis is critical to being able to be able to be, which we are in in business, in the smaller, medium-sized business, we are able to be nifty and, and agile and be able to move and change quickly. So having those numbers where you can make those decisions quickly and arrest a problem or if there's an opportunity that's sitting there, go for it full on because you can. Fantastic. The final question I have for you is those listening or have read your chapter, what's your best advice for people around their numbers? The best advice I have is, first of all, to not be afraid of them. Secondly, to get some education around the numbers you need to know as a business owner. And it's not about learning to be a bookkeeper and accountant. No, not, not that. But about understanding and interpreting the numbers. And in order to do that, potentially look to find a good CFO, virtual CFO, part-time CFO, or a really good accountant that's working in that space to help you to put accountability around checking those numbers on a monthly basis and helping to educate you on what they mean and and making the decisions from what the numbers are telling you. Fantastic. You mentioned it at the start of our interview, but for anyone listening in, you've written a great book that can help people get to know their numbers. Can you just let us know the title of the book and the best way that people can reach you again if they are, if they are interested in learning from the Queen of Cashflow? The, the book you're referring to is Unscramble Your Numbers, Unlock the Secrets to Your Business Cash Flow. It is available on my website, www.amandafisher.com.au, and I would love to hear from any readers who are struggling with their numbers because there is really no reason to do so. There's, there, is, there is an answer, there is a way. To, to get you from struggling and being scared of the numbers. So. Perfect. And anyone listening who is scared of the numbers, take heed. I am in your shoes and Amanda certainly makes the whole process very easy to follow. If I can understand it, trust me when I say anyone can understand it. Amanda Fisher, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 